Welcome to the Fishers of Men podcast, brought to you by us at So Much Media. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. I'm Laura Samara Sands. This podcast is about relationships and your walk with Jesus. It's about the true stories of Christian men and women's struggles with chastity, sex, marriage, and relationships in a post-Christian culture. another episode of the Fishers of Men podcast. Uh, today we have a very special guest, uh, Julie Rubio. Thank you so much for talking to us today. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> um, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Sure, sure. I'm a theologian and I'm a professor at St. Louis University in St. Louis, Missouri, which is a Jesuit Catholic university. And I'm also um, a mother. I have three three uh, young adult sons in college and graduate school. And the focus of my work is Christian ethics broadly. And then within that, my focus has been on issues relating to marriage and family and sex and gender. Awesome. Wonderful. Perfect for our <laughs> Perfect show. for us, yeah. <laughs> um, can I ask what led you to that, to those areas of expertise uh, for your work? Sure. Yeah. When I was in graduate school, when I was doing my master's, I was at a student at Harvard Divinity School in Boston. And I was also uh, engaged at the time to my husband, who uh, was one of my good friends in college. <laughs> and as as I was um, just moving through that process with my and bec- and slowly becoming a theologian, I was struck by how there wasn't a whole lot that was interesting to me that had to do with marriage and family and sex and gender. I was somewhat more drawn to the social justice teachings of the church. But then I was seeing interesting work that was more pastoral. Mm-hmm. And so I thought interesting things were happening kind of on the ground and in parishes and um, just among ordinary Catholics that maybe hadn't made it into academic theology. And I thought as a as a lay Catholic woman, this was an area that I could contribute to. So um, I wanted to write my dissertation on family and and then also just because I was a, a woman and I became a theologian about, I, I finished my degree in 1995, I've also just always been asked to, to write about these things. And I found that there's a need and there's always something new. Mm, <laughs> so it's, 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 it's always new and developing. That's fantastic. I mean, certainly our podcast hits on all of these issues about mm-hmm. not just dating, but relationships in general. And of course, because this is a Christian podcast as well, we hold family to be very important as God's design in you know the human journey. Please correct me if I'm wrong. You have sure. a book about when you find yourself on kind of opposite sides of a spectrum sort of like the political spectrum or even from a faith perspective with someone that maybe you're related to or that you are in a relationship with is is that about right what <laughs> that sort of presumption um, not completely but i think okay. we can apply it there so okay. so the book is called hope for common ground and it's about divisions in the church more broadly among Christians and, and particularly Catholics, but I think it's more broadly applicable. And it's about, yeah, find uh, analyzing why 
there is such division among Christians, especially, and then um, looking at specific issues like poverty and abortion and end of life care and marriage, and seeing where can we where can we find that common ground. So I wasn't thinking specifically of relationships when I wrote it. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it it's not oriented in that way, but in a way, I actually kind of was. Um, yeah. <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> um, because um, my own, I think the, the reason that I am able, that was able to write the book is because uh, my own. So that engagement that I talked to, talked to you about earlier is that is that my husband and I did come from different sides of this of, mm. of religious and political spectrum, and part of our coming together was finding that common ground. Yeah, and that's part. I mean, obviously, if the whole church could be united, that would be. Wonderful. (laughs) But uh, that's the part that really interested me, especially in that we've had just such a really divisive political season. Mm -hmm. You know, after this fall, I have found division where I didn't necessarily see divisions before. Like, I, I feel like this political climate is kind of bringing out even new divisions, and especially in my family and relationships and with dating. So could you comment a little bit on those social sins and then how to find common ground? Yeah, I I mean, it's it's definitely something that is, that I'm finding people comment, uh, commenting on anecdotally. So Mm -hmm. people are talking about how hard it is in their families Mm -hmm. right now when there are political divisions. I mean, and that's kind of a longstanding thing, like, you know, don't bring up politics or religion at the dinner table. Right. But it's, yeah, but there's there's some pretty good evidence that it's getting worse. So things like like the kind of sorting uh, that goes on. So we're more likely, for instance, to sort ourselves into churches or parishes that affirm our point of view, yeah. or as well as neighborhoods. And then we do that online as well. And so, yeah, we're in these echo chambers where we're hearing our own views affirmed all the time, and the other becomes really, really hard to understand, mm. uh, let alone actually engage. Yeah. Um, so there's, yeah, so that's a real thing. I mean, that socio- sociologists are seeing. It's also true, for instance, that um, that that those who identify as Republican or Democrat tend to be um, more narrowly either either conservative or liberal, whereas before you might have a conservative, say, one kind of moderate or a Democrat, say, on kind of conservative. And, and now those categories are getting more binary. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So that's definitely out there. And it's there in the church as well, where people and I'm speaking broadly here, I mean, it was so that that people would have even more in common with, say, a liberal Catholic and a liberal Presbyterian or mm-hmm. conservative Catholic and a conservative Baptist than they would with people in their own denomination. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So that, so that's there. I, and I, is, is that what you meant by social sin or were you wanting to ask me about something else? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, basically that just, just the broad issues of kind of that are dividing people, which I, I think that our listeners probably will already have a pretty good idea. Yeah. Well, your book, <laughs> your book focuses on four specific issues. Do mm-hmm. you, do you want to talk a little bit in, in summary of what those are? Sure. Yeah. And I chose, um, I chose issues that I thought were especially contested. There were others 
that I considered, mm-hmm. but who were also that are also contested, say mm-hmm. like immigration or the environment. Sure, but yeah. these were ones where I thought were pretty central to the conversation, and also where I thought there was potential. Mm-hmm. So family, mm-hmm. particularly, what is. Um, I mean, I think most people, most Christians are supportive of marriage, but then what does it mean to to support marriage and family? And what's the role of same-sex marriage in that conversation versus other issues like, say, divorce and Mm. helping people get and stay married? And then poverty seems like there's a perennial divide on big government versus small government. Mm-hmm. How do we empower people? How do we how do we help and assist people? Mm-hmm. And then on abortion, do we need a more restrictive laws or or are there other other things that we might do in private while keeping the laws less restrictive? And then, uh, and then on end of life care, especially uh, physician assisted suicide or death, how do Christians deal with those kinds of issues? So those are the four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. not real controversial. Yeah, <laughs> no, not, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. And it is really interesting that you can kind of hold the same perspective from a religious point of view with someone, but then totally be opposite ends of the spectrum politically. Like, in terms of the political ramifications of what those mean. Yeah, and, because, like, these are all, you know, life-affirming or, or centered about, like, the sacred to, sacredness of life and or family. And yet, of course, as humans, we hold those things to be good things, but... Well, I mean, not that not that two people of the same faith couldn't disagree on those as well. Right. But, sure. You know, but, but, still, but that's where politically, I, I'm finding just in yeah. my personal life, the thing that's becoming the hardest is just the political ramifications mm-hmm. of all of these. Right. And I think that's part part of what I want to do is, is say that the Christian tradition has has some wisdom on that and, and that it's kind of a twofold thing. So that on the one hand, it's not the case that there's a total separation between faith and politics, mm-hmm. but rather that when you're a person of faith, your beliefs in the goodness of the human person and created in the image of God mm-hmm. and the connection amongst the whole human family, all creating God's image and and what we call in the Catholic tradition the, the universal destination of material goods that God created the earth and wanted and wanted um, people to share in its bounty. I mean, those are kind of basic core beliefs, but they also have to have some kind of political implication because we don't want people to be left out. This, but the specific shape of what that looks like. Um, that's more complicated. And so it is possible to affirm basic things like there's a responsibility that Christians have to be good stewards of the earth or a responsible responsibility for people in poverty or for unborn life or for elderly life at the end, and yet disagree on where we might end up uh, with the be- what, what we think the best policy would be or even the most possible, the policy that's possible for us to affirm. Mm-hmm. So I think having having the idea that faith is connected to politics and yet we can't draw these completely straight lines from faith to politics, mm-hmm. right, that might be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to me, and I'd love to get your perspective on this, is that what I'm seeing, at least in my Facebook feed <laughs> or <laughs> um, in, my, in my life, is that on kind of both sides, either on the left or the right, it seems like 
there's been a lot more legalism in a way. And it's kind of surprising because I haven't necessarily seen this type of legalism from the left before this past election of like, but look at this document and this is what this says. And, you know, we need to do this and blah, 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 blah. And then that's certainly what I'm seeing from my friends more on the right side of the spectrum. And it, but it seems to be much more (laughs) divisive. And so I, I would just like to ask you about that a little bit, if you think that legalism is playing a role. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's a good way to name it. And one of the things that I think it's important for Christians to consider is is how much of our hope is it appropriate to put in politics, and is politics our answer hmm. to the things that are wrong in the world? So, I mean, while, while not wanting to say, you know, give up on politics, it doesn't really matter, and, uh, and actually I think that's kind of a problematic trend for, for those people who aren't engaging on Facebook. On yeah. <laughs> Let's just look at cat pictures, you know. Right. Um, but, uh, so I don't want to go there. But on the other hand, are there, it, we, can we identify areas of social concern and, and say maybe everything that we want to say about that or everything that we want to do about that can't be captured with politics. And I think you're right about what's going on on the left as well. I mean, the, I, I've, it's been interesting to see, say, things on immigration and refugees. Mm-hmm. Like, here's what it says in the Bible, and therefore, and without, without a lot of critical reflection that you might expect about, so how do, we, how do we move from what's in Scripture, what's in authoritative documents, to a coherent policy? In a in a country where people have different beliefs and commitments, yeah, yeah. and you right, and you could say the same thing about abortion or about same sex marriage. We have really strong teachings and um, and authoritative teachings and scriptural teachings, and yet how do we how do we move from there to what makes sense in a pluralistic society, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, would you say that? That's kind of the basis of how to find common ground with others that we have in our lives that we disagree with. Well, I think it, so. It's one part. In, in the first part of the book, I I, um, I talk about three things that I kind of want to establish before moving to the cases, and the one that we've mm-hmm. just talked about is the first one. So that there's a connection between faith and politics, but it's complicated. Yeah, and we have to deal with what's possible as well as what we would want ideally. So that's the kind of the faithful citizenship piece. And then the second part is this idea that I draw from the Catholic tradition of cooperation with evil. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, whoa. <laughs> um, Which does I, get thrown around every, every election season. <laughs> right. Right. It just sounds like, wow, what is that? Yeah. yeah. But I think actually the, the, um, the tradition talks about, uses cooperation with evil, talk about a lot of different things in the tradition and, and in people's ordinary life. And so once, once we kind of get a sense of, wow, if I think about what I buy and what I vote for and where I work and all these different things, like I'm connected, we're all connected to a lot of evil. And there's no way to totally disconnect yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, You just would be in your house, (laughs) crawled up in a ball. (laughs) (laughs) Growing your own food. You just just can't move. Yeah. Yeah. So once we see all those different issues, then I think we're kind of better situated to see, yeah, like there's sweatshop clothing and there's 
there's anybody that you vote for and mm-hmm. and all these and the stuff you buy at the grocery store and mm-hmm. all these different things are ways in which we're responsible and yet we can't be there's no total purity mm-hmm. <laughs> that's possible so we need to think about those connections but not kind of say that is not completely demonize when people are connected in ways we find to be problematic so recognizing the pervasiveness of cooperation with evil. And then the third sp- thing is that there's a lot more I think we can do in the local sphere, in the community sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, so be- yeah. what I call between the personal, what we do individually in our families, and the political. And it's in that communal sphere that I actually think there's more space for agreement And then once we figure out, oh, the disagreements aren't as terrible in that communal sphere, then thinking more proactively and in a more rigorous way about what we could do together Mm -hmm. there. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've definitely found that to be the case with people that I have disagreements with, that when I make it more about our personal relationship and the things that we both care about, then we usually have an easier and much more pleasant time <laughs> in, in interaction. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. Sorry, this is hitting right. very, very close to home for me right now. Right, um, right. No, I know. I know. Well, yeah. Right, because if we if we if we say okay, our you know for pro or con Obamacare Affordable Care Act, then you know th- there might not be much hope for common ground. <laughs> But mm-hmm. but if we talk more broadly about, okay, so there are a lot of people in our society that are left out of health care, mm-hmm. what, or just left out um, on issues of economics in general, who are lacking, and we want them to have these things because yeah. it affects their capacity to participate in society. Mm-hmm. So what are churches doing now? Well, I mean, I'd say we're already acting in this sphere, but what we're doing is more in the realm of charity. So we're doing shelter, we're doing food drives and clothing drives and stuff like that, which is all great. But what if we tried to do something a little bit more complicated and maybe a little bit more developmental Mm -hmm. in that way? All right. Would it be possible to take the gifts and expertise that we have among us in Christian communities and work in ways that would more be solving the problem rather than just kind of filling the gaps. And that's where I think I can't imagine liberals or conservatives disagreeing with that. Yeah. And yet it seemed like it's, there's untapped potential there that we could explore. Yeah. Cause we're too caught up on what divides us instead of what is actually the issue at heart. And we want to attack symptoms versus building our society together. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And so people, when I've traveled around the country a bit, talking in parishes and universities about this, people are like, yeah, I mean, we've got kind of the, you know, the pro-life folks over here and the social justice folks over here, and they don't mm-hmm. talk to each other. And, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm, I'm, and so we can't really have a discussion about these things in our, in our um, parish or school. And I think, well, that's really sad because um, there've got to be basic foundational things that we all believe in. And I found whether I'm talking in a more conservative or more liberal environment, if I'm talking about um, how are we empowering poor people in our communities, everybody wants to talk about that. We might not have answers, right? Um, But it's definitely an issue of concern. And so that's where I think we could work. I mean, so I think about this 
employment group that I've been involved in in St. Louis, where we have people from churches coming together to help people in the community who don't have jobs develop soft skills they need for employment. So how to interview, how to dress, how to talk to employers, how to have backups for your child care in case there, there's a gap. And then, and then also figuring out how churches can be a part of filling that, those kind of gaps, which make it hard for especially single parents and people without cars to get to work on time, right? So all those kinds of things, I mean, that's all more developmental. It's, it's a lot more than canned food drive. Mm-hmm. And yet not that many churches do that kind of work. Right. And it, and it doesn't seem like you have to be a Democrat or Republican to want to be involved in that kind of work. Right. Yeah. It right. De- I've definitely found in my personal life that there are certain places of common ground. I don't know why but we don't seem to want to talk about all that much. <laughs> like, yeah. It seems like we're caught in the we drama. What to argue? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, for example, mm. like I, I think because I have friends all over the spectrum, you know, I think for example, like supporting local businesses or, you know, like mm-hmm. the co-op model, things like that are things that I really see potential for people to come together on, you know, whether you're like a Tea Party conservative, whether you're a like Bernie Krat liberal, like, uh-huh. you know, everybody can can get on board with this idea. But instead, everybody, instead of focusing on something positive and proactive and constructive, I'm not going to say everybody, that's, that's not true. But a lot of people, right. it seems like we, we just kind of want to get caught up instead of like, but no, you're wrong. And I disagree with you. And this is why you're wrong. And et cetera, yeah, et we're too caught up in being right. And trying to listen <laughs> to the other person. Which is, you know, yeah, no. relationships. <laughs> yeah, the drama, the drama can be fun. Uh, but yeah, I, <laughs> but I, I think that's actually a great example of something that where you could find common ground. But then, where can we go with that? Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to support a local business, but then, what about? helping develop local businesses in communities where where there aren't very many. Mm-hmm. I mean, that seems to me to be a potential area for growth. So again, here in St. Louis and in, in Midtown, where there's a lot of poverty in various communities, some through Catholic charities have been involved with a group of women and they wanted to bring a store to their community. Mm-hmm. And so we did, it's a combination of things, of some some nonprofit funding and some other kinds of funding. And so they got a store with healthy food in a community where that hasn't been the case. But then we have a model where folks with more resources shop there in order to kind of build up a base, but then also people in the community. And there's, you know, there are cooking classes and there's stuff about gardening Mm -hmm. and they're helping people learn how to do their own home gardens. I mean, what a great model, awesome. right? Yeah. yeah, that everybody. So yeah, it's so so it's so much. So it is, but so it's buying. But there's there's obviously there's more going on there as well. Yeah. And you know, this is yeah, this is like 15 minutes from my house, and I, I suspect this is true in, in a lot of places. You actually don't have to travel that far mm-hmm. um, in your own community to get to a place where where there really is a need. Yeah, yeah actually, yesterday I just heard that um, Father Greg. Boyle, who founded uh-huh. Homeboy Industries in LA, here where we live, um, is being honored with a uh, an award from Notre Dame, or maybe not an award, a yeah. recognition. And um, and yeah. so I was talking with a group of friends um, on on Facebook, uh, but I you know it really <laughs> struck me because I was th- I was thinking about this issue. So for those who don't know, Homeboys Homeboy Industries, they um, 
are one of the largest gang intervention, rehabilitation, reentry programs in the world. And basically they take people who have been incarcerated and they have cafes that serve actually delicious food. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they, mm-hmm. like they actually, mm-hmm. you know, so, so they are, they train people and they give them jobs and mm-hmm. they make something that's actually good for the community at large mm-hmm. because people actually go and enjoy eating the food yeah. and, uh, you know, it's actually a fair price. And, you know, so it's like, not only are they doing something that's just very, like, like everybody in LA can recognize the good of this program. Like, it doesn't matter what religion you are, or, you know, like where you come from or whatever. Everybody's like, oh yeah, like that's a good mission. But they also happen to be doing what they're doing really, really well, which I think is a lesson for all of us involved in the church. Oh, yes. Yes. Definitely. No, that's a great example. Do substandard things. Definitely. Well, and and maybe to to move it to an issue where maybe there it that seems that common ground seems more elusive, but on the abortion issue too, I think that there's such potential, mm-hmm. right? Because I think most people would be on board with the idea that to the extent that women don't feel like they have the choice to bring their babies to term, it would be good for Christians to help women feel that they could, right? To empower women to make that choice. And so one of the things I did in the book was I said, okay, I want to, I want to do a deeper dive into why women get abortions. And I, and I want to really listen to, um, the data that's out there from the Guttmacher Institute. So that's Planned Parenthood. So that's their own data. But then also the data that's out there from crisis pregnancy centers, which is another space where people are encountering pregnant women in crisis from, but it's a more of a pro-life space. So when, but when I listened to both, both of those sides, I just, I found actually a lot of overlap, some different interpretation, but a lot of overlap Mm -hmm. where women are feeling often that this is not it's not an ideal choice. It's a choice often that feels forced. There is often not enough support, both economic and relational. But if the situation were different, they might do something differently. And the other thing I noticed was that while that's true, it's also true that those who are, there, there are plenty of women who are giving birth in less than ideal circumstances. And in fact, those pregnancy rates outside of marriage are higher than they've ever been. Mm. Not a good thing, but it lets us know that having, t- bringing crisis pregnancies to term is not necessarily impossible. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of like, okay, so now then what, then how do you, how do you work on that more? So if you really listen to women, um, what could Christians do? So, I mean, I think what I see mostly people doing is like collecting baby supplies and stuff like that, which is, which is great again, but what other kinds of support would be helpful Mm -hmm. and can people on both sides of that issue stop wasting a lot of energy, (laughs) Yes, Um, you know, on the political battle and, and figure out what could, because no matter what happens there, there's still going to be a need for this kind of work. And can we figure out how people in churches can better support women in this area? I think there's a lot more that could be done. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and I love that example just <laughs> yeah. because it's it seems a better way to support the pro-life in the way of affirming women and encouraging them to bring people to, uh, their babies to term instead of holding up my sign and, you know, protesting and, and creating yelling this divide <laughs> and yelling a lot and wasting energy. Yeah. And it's so much more Jesus-centered to actually take people in and or love them and actually 
treat them as human beings instead of this political project that I'm trying to work on. Yeah, know? yeah, like treating a, a yeah. human being as a point that you're trying to make. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and I don't want to say, I mean, I think both, you know, when I look at immigration, when I look at abortion, there's certainly a role for, for, for standing with your sign and, and, and making that protest. Yeah. And, and just sometimes people feel convicted that they just, even if nobody is going to have their mind changed. Sometimes it's important just to stand there, and I, and I get that. I but have I have stood I wanna... outside with signs, <laughs> to go, not judgy signs, <laughs> but, but I'm sure right. that you've done loving other signs. things. I'm sure yeah. you've done other loving things. Yeah, too. yeah. yeah so like yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I was, I was. Um, the... But yeah, but if but if we really if we really want to fix the problem and and right. save the lives and and do something positive then we need to i think be smart yeah. and and really care about effective effectiveness one of the points i make in the book is that there's not it's not a choice between being faithful and effective but being faithful and being compassionate requires us to yes. care about effectiveness mm. and so we should be studying what what works right. um, what what actually makes a difference and and caring about that and that might bring us into conversation certainly with other christians but also with people outside of the the churches with with whom we can find common ground and and work on these problems yeah i think that's exactly right finding ways to have conversations and i think that's the problem with facebook a lot of the times is that people want to just pontificate online and yeah maybe you'll get people to comment on what you're saying but that's really not going to change hearts. Change hearts. Well, it's not or, just that. It's not just people wanting to pontificate. It's like people feel a moral obligation almost sometimes mm-hmm. to make yeah. this public stand. And that and that's fine. But it's like what you're saying. How are we actually engaging in real conversations that can actually have the other person listen? And how are we engaging? How are we listening? Yeah, and how are we listening? <laughs> and how are we engaging in what with one another in kindness and compassion and love? And it's it's really hard to do that on a forum like Facebook where you can just yeah. kind of vomit words and, and emotions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, yeah, it, it is it is really hard on Facebook. And I and I think the analyses that I've seen have, have said that more and more um, people don't comment on a post if they disagree. So mm. they might eventually hide you but or they're just they're just gonna scroll past because they don't think there's a point Right. to trying to introduce anything challenging or critical into the discussion. So it is just like, yeah, yeah, you're right, which is not so helpful. Right. So I do think that Christians should have an angle on this <laughs> um, <laughs> just because of our belief in sin and which should lead us to a certain amount of humility. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we should be able to be witnesses in the larger society mm-hmm. of what good conversation might look like. Yeah. It's not the reputation we always have, yeah. um, but it, it, but honestly, it should be. And I think that there are some good rules for good conversation. I mean, just things like, like you said, listening, like deep listening to the other person, learning how to ask real questions of another person and not just kind of entrapment questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, but really, like, I genuinely want to know. I, it's really hard for me to understand. Can you explain to to me how, how you think about this kind of questions? And then having the intellectual humility to sense that you could be wrong. You might need to revise your position Maybe not, but at least considering the possibility, at the very least, you might have something to learn from the other's position, even though you disagree with it. 
things like avoiding binaries. So mm-hmm. there's there's yeah. this and there's this and, and there's nothing yeah. in between, but instead talking yeah. about the complexities of issues. And another another thing a friend of mine who talks a lot about difficult conversation, Charlie Camosi um, talks about is leading with what you're for. So instead of uh, I oppose mm. this, I'm for this, and that actually can allow for potential conversation that otherwise couldn't happen. So there, there are a lot of good sources for that. I think that we can share and, but it, but it actually takes practice. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. actually not natural <laughs> in, a, in a lot of ways, but, but I think still, still possible. I'm probably that. much better face to face. Yeah. But right. I do love that. Right. Like leaning yeah. for with what you're for. Yeah. It's like, yes, I am also for choice and, you know, I also am for life, life. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then like, how does that work in where my stances are coming from instead of just accusing somebody else of like of going to hell and going to hell. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's great. And, and I think one of the things too, that I try to do is, is to say that there actually is sometimes more disagreement, more agreement, sorry, than we think. Mm-hmm. So for instance, when uh, one study that, that I, that I like on a, um, that I found really interesting on abortion says, you know, when you ask people, are you pro-life or pro-choice and you give them the, the potential to say both, a majority chooses that. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting, right? Yeah. So it, it's actually not the case that, that most people have very, um, very hard line positions with no common ground. There is more common ground that you would think. It's just that those aren't the loudest voices. Right. Right. And so knowing that kind of allows us to say, okay, <laughs> so it's not impossible. People do change their minds and they're more moderate than you think. So once I know that, then what can my conversation look like? Mm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. I think that sounds like a good place to wrap up. And so where, sure. can, what is your book called and where can people find it? Thanks. Yeah, it's called Hope for Common Ground. And it's published by Georgetown University Press. But I'm sure if you Google the title, you can find it lots of other places online. Yes, I did find it on Amazon. <laughs> uh, Amazon, it's a great marketplace. <laughs> or your local bookstore. Yeah, or, or, your, or, or your local, local bricks and mortar. Yes, yes. <laughs> Go to an actual physical local bookstore. All right, thanks so much for having me on your show. Yes, yes, thank, thank you, so, you much. so much, Professor Julie Rubio. This has been another episode of Fishers of Men. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please email us at fishersofmenpodcast at gmail.com or find us on our website at fishersofmenpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook under Fishers of Men. Follow us on Twitter at at LA Gone Fishing or on Instagram at Fishers of Men Podcast. There is an underscore after each word. Please also remember to rate and make comments on iTunes if you feel so inclined. It's really important so that other people can discover our podcast. I'm Larson Mary Sams. I'm Mary Asher Burton. Until next time, keep swimming.